Welcome to the Bleep Midlife Bulimia podcast with guest Sherry T, owner of Prosper Us. Hi, everyone. I am Lorianne. I am the host of Bleep Midlife Bulimia. Today, I have Sherry T, and she is the owner of Prosper Us. And we're going to be speaking today about some of Sherry's experiences with bulimia and where she is at today. And thank you so much for being here with me. Oh, Lauren, it's such a privilege for me. So thank you very much for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. So let's start with that. I know that you struggle with bulimia and uh, let's just start with where that all started with you. Sure. So I, bulimia started with me in my, I want to say mid-teen years. I don't quite remember exactly when, um, but it started in, you know, probably around 16, I'm going to say. And it got really bad between, I'm going to say between 18 and, and 21. Um, it was stress induced. And, you know, you and I were, were talking yesterday. And the interesting thing that I found with bulimia is that a lot of women, or I guess some men as well, but a lot of women suffer from it as a means to lose weight. And even though that was a factor for me, it was more of an emotional response for me and emotional uh, release. I liken it a lot to people who cut themselves um, and when they feel overwhelmed just to feel something or be in control of something, it really was about control for me. So that, that was how, it, that's when it started. I would like to say that I'm mostly recovered now. Um, I relapsed probably, probably about once or twice a year. Okay, yeah, that's... I always like to say too, if it's just the once or twice a year, you've come leaps and bounds and definitely towards full recovery because that is uh, something. And then we were also, when we chatted, because, okay, I'm going to tell my listeners, I had to do this one. <laughs> we had a great no. conversation yesterday. Let me tell you, it was so beautifully. And of course, my sound sucked. So I couldn't have your ears hurt with this, but we're going to go through some of this. And what we talked about yesterday, uh, just a lot of things, but uh, that go-to definitely for emotions and, uh, and the weight thing being possibly the start of it, but definitely something that I know personally myself, I also started going to, to numb myself from emotions or uh, I didn't like feeling something. So I would run to food to just, you know, comfort and, and yeah. hide whatever I was feeling. But I also really truly believe that, uh, you know, even when I was feeling after my recovery, I would feel triggers, I would not act on them. But I feel fully recovered today, where I'm not even feeling those triggers anymore, which is where you're obviously getting to, which is fantastic. And I really appreciate you yeah. sharing that. Well, you know, they say hindsight's twenty twenty, and that's so the truth with me, because when I was going through it, and the worst of it, I never understood why I was doing it. It was just something I did. And here's, here's the funny thing. I didn't recognize it in myself. And yet my best friend was horribly anorexic, horribly anorexic to the point where, you know, she, she was a walking stick and with this, you know, disproportionate sized head because there was no, nothing to her. And she had to be hospitalized. She was so close to dying. And I would look at her in admittedly and shamefully uh, a judgmental way, like, 
why can't you just get over this? And you know, what's wrong with you? And why can't you just eat? And yet, I was at the worst of my bulimia. I couldn't even see it in myself. And I didn't understand why I was doing it. So, you know, you talk about triggers. I had no idea what my triggers were. You know, I would be going through stress and I wouldn't correlate it with the need to binge and purge and binge and purge. And, you know, and it went on for like four or five times a day at, at my, at my worst times, but I couldn't recognize it in myself. Now, that's interesting because I know I was reading back through a couple of my journals and it started off, I was really quite pleased with having bulimia myself because I had lost, you know, a, I guess probably about 20 pounds that I gained. And then in the journal started to say, I wanted to reach out to my friends to say, I want to stop this because it had taken over. It was no longer about the weight anymore. It was something I was going to. But like you, I didn't associate it right away with emotions. It took a little bit of yeah. time for me to do that. And I felt alone all of a sudden thinking, well, who do I turn to? Because they all, you know, knew when I was starting, it was almost like a game, strangely enough. And it was like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to try it too, but I can't do it. And then they would come to me and go, you know, you really shouldn't do it. And then I started pretending I wasn't doing it anymore just so that they wouldn't be bugging me. And so when it got to that point, where do I reach out to? Who do I speak to when you're sitting there going, I really don't want to be doing this, but I don't know that I don't want to be doing this and I need someone to talk to. And that was an interesting transition. And like you said, when you finally do put the two and two together, where do you go? Well, there's so much shame. Well, I don't want to talk in generalities like I'm talking for everybody, but for me, there was a lot of shame with it because first of all, I, I didn't think I had bulimia because, you know, I said I didn't recognize it in myself. I think it's kind of like being an alcoholic and you think you can stop at any time. So therefore you are not an alcoholic. So throwing up was just something I did. I didn't view it as a disease or anything like that. Um, so I went from not understanding it to being ashamed of having it when I finally did admit it to myself. Because, you know, you grow up in a, I, I grew up in a very religious household um, from a religion that I've left. And there, it's a culture of shame and not good enough and, you know, and needing to portray perfection in all, in, in everything you do in your whole life. So when I did admit that I had bulimia, I, I couldn't tell anyone. It was now became about now I can get through this on my own. Now I have to stop, but I can't let anyone know. Until, of course, I'm, I'm better. And which is hard to do if you have nobody to support you to get better sometimes. So you could keep saying, well, you know, next year, next day, next something. And, uh, and interesting about the uh, anorexia, because we talked about that too, where I had a friend and she would be walking and I'm going, oh my goodness. And it was painful to watch her where it was all skin and bones and like you I would think like can't you just gain something and yet here I was bulimic but I guess I was started almost thinking well you know but I'm okay because I've got extra weight on me and no one can see it and yet it's been told it's a slow form of suicide absolutely yeah but we don't see it nearly as much because we a lot of bulimics are not hospitalized because you know, there are a lot that are, but there's a lot that aren't because they 
maintain a certain weight. They maintain, you know, this, uh, to be able to consistently keep going. Uh, you know, I did that over 30 years. So obviously that's the case and not without, you know, the end results of things that, you know, like I have a, pro a problem with my esophagitis and my teeth are not as nice as they used to be. So there were consequences thereof. Uh, but I'm one of the lucky ones because I know that there's people I being in my forties, I could have had a heart attack based on the pressure that bulimia did. And I don't want to scare my listeners, but it's <laughs> the older, the older you get, seriously, it's going to be a bigger problem health wise. Um, not that it isn't always, but it is going to get worse because your heart isn't as strong as you get older unless, well, some athletes would argue me with that one, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, totally. But yeah, it's um... the health, the health implications are huge. And I, I, I don't know that I would have started at, well, actually, no, I probably would have started knowing it because you're too, you're too young back then to, to worry about repercussions. But my God, like the dentist bills and, you know, and the hormone fluctuations that you go through in <laughs> at the worst of it. I know that you suffered from that. You know, I, I was lucky that I didn't have a lot of people around me to, to uh, lash out to, but for sure that the health implications, I, I can't imagine being full blown now with, with bulimia. I just couldn't. No, I, I can tell you there were a couple of times in the latter part of just before I was recovering, uh, where it, it was kind of scary because, you know, and so I, one of a lady who, of course, midlife. <laughs> okay, we're laughing about that too. We don't like to be called midlife. We don't feel midlife. I personally, I'm in my last quarter of my life, so I want to make sure that it's a happy one. But, you know, hitting in my 40s and my heart pounding like that, and I had a hard time going to sleep. So I'm thinking, oh my, if this keeps up, am I going to wake up tomorrow? And then yeah. you've got your panic attacks. And of course, you're not having the proper nutrients to help you in a lot of those. So you're most likely dehydrated, which is not good for your heart, the lack of nutrients, which is not good for your heart. And you're thinking, I didn't think about this. Like, I didn't think this was going to happen to me. Yeah. Uh, and it's compounded. Yeah. It's compounded because you still have all the issues that made you bulimic. Like, you know, I was thinking back to, you know, why it started for me. And of course, the, as I was talking about the, the need for that image of perfection, but I was such a stressed out kid. You know, I remember in elementary school, my mom took me to the doctor because I was having all of these stomach issues and, and the doctor examined me and he says, what on earth do you have at your age to be this stressed out about? So I was always like a, a strung out kid. And, you know, because I internalized everything. Um, yeah, it's so on top of the, the physical effects of bulimia, you're compounding it with everything else that was wrong that made you start being bulimic. So it's, it's no joke, man. No. And funny that you should say that I do. We were, I keep saying we were referencing because I'm referencing that, but it's true. And it brought back this when I was like up till three years old, I just, I, loved showing off, loved being out there. And uh, I would be shy, but not shy. And then the minute I got to know you, you wish that you hadn't known me because I didn't shut up and I was all excited and everything. 
but I didn't see that as a negative, except for when, you know, the adults would say that, hey, calm down, go sit down, don't bug them. And so I started perceiving myself as bugging people, being annoying. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. And then, like you said, too, I think it was in grade two, I remember trying to do a math problem, couldn't get it. And I took my pencil and I scraped really hard over it because I was so frustrated. And then what do you do? Just like what you do with Limmy, you hide it. <laughs> you try and pull of the paper off, right? And I didn't <laughs> want them to see this. But then, of course, there's the ingrained part underneath that my teacher saw. And she told my mom. And my mom was upset with me. And instead of trying to figure out what is that, what, what was it that was causing the anger? Why did I do that? Again, because I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to be number one in the class. I wanted to make sure that I knew everything that I was learning and sometimes overthinking would make me think that something was more difficult than it actually was and it frustrated me because I wasn't making the marks right so yeah for sure yeah there's a lot that goes into into bulimia for sure but thank god I really appreciate the work you do around it though um because when when you speak it you take away its power you really do. Like, you know, you were telling me how when, when you start to feel triggered, you call your sister and, and then she would talk. Well, she wouldn't even need to talk you off the ledge. You just, you would, wouldn't need it after just telling her. So speaking about it, you know, as long as you're not re-victimizing yourself, um, speaking about it takes away its power. And that was really a lot of where I went wrong it could have ended a long time ago for me, like way earlier than it did, had I just had the courage to speak about it. Um, so, you know, your platform is brilliant. I just, I love what you do. Thank you. And that's funny because we talked about that and that's where I started laughing because when I did call my sister that one time and I said, I want to binge and purge. And at this time I was yeah. probably, I don't know, just a few months into my recovery. And she goes, it's okay, you can do it. And that bothered me. I go, no, I'm not going to do it then. Because you're letting me. I'm not going to live. Yeah, tell me I can do it. Then I'm not going to. No, it's not good. Um, and that was really, like, that was pivotal for me. Because all of a sudden, somebody was letting me do it. Somebody was accepting me. Mm. But the fact that, you know, call me after it's done. Let me know. Made me realize, and, and unfortunately for you, but and for me too, because it took me that long. I mean, really, ultimately, this was just at my recovery and, and the time that helped me recover. Uh, yeah. And not, not a lot of people out there feel they have anyone to talk to about it. And I would imagine you hit it really well throughout your life. I was discovered um, in my late teens, my someone, I forget who it's too long ago, but somebody heard me throwing up and my parents approached me. And so, of course, there's nothing worse than disappointing your parents. So I had to promise that I would stop. And I turned anorexic for a little while um, because I couldn't, I promised my parents I wouldn't binge and purge. So then I just wasn't going to (laughs) eat. I had to control something, right? And then they had to deal with that. So my God, I'm, I I just, I'm sorry, mom and dad. I was so hard on you. I'm sorry. Okay, strategies. I said that to my dad just a couple of days ago. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, I never apologized for putting you through what you had to go through. But dad took it easier than mom, believe it or not. He knew how to deal with it better than my mom could. 
I yeah. don't know if you had one parent that was, I mean, it's hard on any parent, but it was interesting how, uh, how dad tried to go about it versus how my mother went about it, which was more with anger. Whereas my dad was more with let's try and make her, because I kind of went through that period too, them finding out then me saying that I'm not going to eat anything. And then yeah. dad trying to get me to eat slowly, but surely just a little bit at a time. He was happy if I just ordered a salad and watched me eat a couple of leaves of lettuce. Like it was. Oh my God. With, I'd love to tell you, I'd love to tell you that I, that I remember how my parents reacted, but I was so self-absorbed in my, in what was going on with me because it, you know, it was intermixed with, you know, horrible depression and so on. And I, 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 it didn't even occur to me to be worried about how this was affecting anyone else. This was all about me and because it was about self-loathing and it was about control and overwhelm. It was all of these things that just put blinders on me. I, I couldn't, you know, I, I hear people <clears throat> talk about other people who have depression and they get angry with them. Um, and, you know, I, I think I put bulimia in the same category and they get angry with them. How could they be so selfish? Um, and why can't they understand what we're going through? But I'm here, like, I'm, I want to tell people they don't give a shit. They can't. <laughs> they are so incapable. Uh, you know, if you're if you're really bad and I know I'm generalizing again, but that was my experience. I was so incapable of it to think of anything but my own darkness. That's true. Yeah, you did go through that. And I don't even know if you weren't like, even if you wanted to reach out, you wouldn't, it, it's, it's hard to even imagine doing that when you're in that. It situation. didn't even occur to me, yeah. did not even occur to me as a choice. It wasn't. And in fact, I never reached out for help ever. Well, no, that's actually, that's not true. I did for my depression, go see some psychiatrists. And I just offhandedly said that I throw up sometimes. And they wanted to explore it and I wanted to ignore it. And then they wanted to blame the religion, but I was still drinking the Kool-Aid. So I would, I changed therapists, like, I don't know how many times, cause they didn't talk about what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I did not reach out to friends or anyone for any help. You got a really good point there too, because I was even saying that sometimes when it comes to even being bulimic is it's, it can have a better effect too. If you're not speaking to the person about their eating disorder or whatever, is to speak to them what they want to speak about, I think is incredibly important. I like what you yeah. just said there. Yeah, for me, I didn't ever address my bulimia head on. It wasn't about, I need to stop binging and purging. I didn't fix that. I just got happy. Like I, I just had to work on healing, um, you know, all of my emotional wounds because there, there's a whole other story about my family, but so I had to heal the emotional wounds. And as I was healing and getting happier, the bulimia took care of itself. Like you cannot be a whole complete happy person and be bulimic in my opinion. It just, the two don't, because here is self-loathing and here's self-love. You learn the self-love. It doesn't coexist with self-loathing and it took care of itself. And I know that there's, some people will argue this with me, but there is that self-love there inside of everybody. They just have to uncover it 
and some people would say, no, 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 I never loved myself. I never, but intrinsically there is that there for people to discover, but you have to want to. Yes. Yes. And, and then for, for the people observing, you have to just recognize when they're actually asking for help, because it usually 99% of the time does not sound like I need help. <laughs> you know, people ask for help in very weird, twisted ways, but because they can't say the words. And if they do say I need help, be there for them. Because that's yeah. one thing we had talked about. I mean, uh, you know, God bless. It's probably scary for some, but I remember when I was married and I was going for help uh, on my own. Because I, I did. I there, there were a few times I went to see therapists because I was there and wanted to say, hey, like, help me. And I asked my ex-husband if he would come with me and he declined. And that was, that made me feel alone. It made me feel unsupported and even if I had a, you know, I wanted someone close to me, someone who was in my world to be a little yeah. bit there and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. And you may not be able to, to understand it, but at least hold my hand through it. And I've heard of uh, women uh, that are married and their husbands are fantastic. But again, I under, we can't expect them to know exactly what to do, but just be there is yeah. super important. Yeah. yeah. And it, you hit the nail on the head and I cannot emphasize what you said enough. You know, when I, I ended up in the hospital, not for my bulimia, but um, it, it had gotten so bad indirectly that I had attempted to take my life. And so I was in the hospital. And when I got out of the hospital, my mom had no idea how to handle me because they, they come from the very stoic old European way where they don't show emotion. So I was, I'm sure I fried her circuitry trying to handle me. And all she did was she would spend day after day after day sitting on the couch with my head on her lap, stroking my hair, or she was making me soup. Yeah, and I can't go on with that story because it'll make me cry. But <laughs> all you need to do is just be there. Just be there. You don't have to fix it. You don't even have to understand it. And for God's sake, don't tell them to just eat something because it's not about that. Just be there. Hold well, the space for them. It's like that opposite that I was talking about. So if you tell them to eat something, they are not going to want to. And if you force them to eat something, I'm sorry, and I'm talking about all ages. doesn't matter what bulimic you are. If you're not in that area of being better again, you're just going to, yeah, I'll eat it then. And guess where it's going to end up? And, and then there was the twist when my sister said, yeah, go ahead. You can binge and throw up. I'm here for you. And I'm going, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> like, so is that telling me you can't? No, I don't want you to. Uh, you know, if that's what you need to do, do it. I'm here for you. And, and that just threw me off it literally threw me off something there somebody's told me it's she wasn't saying it was okay to do it it's okay if you need to do it I'm still there I'm not going to judge you if you do it and that was that was crazy well because you judge yourself horribly to begin with for doing it because you know like the the self-loathing and the self-judgment is a drug in itself that you go through so to hold the space without the judgment like your sister did like I just want to give her a hug 
for, for responding like that. Like brilliant, brilliant. Just say, I don't want you to, but it's okay. You know, she to call me after. I don't want you to. That's what's so crazy. I was waiting for her to say, I don't want you to. She just said, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. The enormity of that love that she had for you in that moment, it just, it really is moving. Absolutely. And it, it taught me a lot. It's, um, you know, it's not always the only way. That's one thing we do have to understand that every person who's dealing with bulimia or any eating disorder of any kind, there are different ways, uh, you know, that, that they that for recovery and for coming through it but we always say that number one you have to want to and I believe in what you're saying is that being happy and learning to you know love yourself and I'm not just saying just like yourself or saying you're enough I hate to be that hates a really bad word I really somehow dislike those you're good enough because being good enough is not good enough for you. You've got yes. to be, and I won't say the best that you can be, but you've got to love yourself as best as you can and all together there. You're there from the day you were born to the day you die, 24 seven, you're going to be the one. And most likely when you look in a mirror, you're not going to annoy yourself as much as you annoy your friends. But the nice thing is you don't annoy yourself as much so you can live with that. <laughs> I always love that Well one. said. Because... <laughs> I think sometimes when I'm alone, I'm going, I really like this because I really love being with myself and I don't judge me. And I look in the mirror and I think I'm kind of cool and I like being with me. And yeah, you know, now I've learned that if somebody else doesn't want to, that's okay. I'm not going to force you to. Yeah. Yes. Isn't that a beautiful place to be finally? I mean, it was a hard road to get here, sister, but, you know, I, I love it. If I had known how great it felt to, to really have esteem for myself, man, I would have started long ago. It feels amazing. Right. There's something happening. How do you teach that? You know, I think they're trying a lot better in schools for that. I mean, unfortunately, we still have the bullying and I know that, uh, you know, social media has not been the best in regards to eating disorders either. In fact, they said that it worsened. I thought, you know, having magazines was bad enough, but now they've got uh, these. And then we spoke to another one of my guests who said that, you know, sometimes people even try to compete on how bad it is. And it is an attention getting thing. But as I said to you, I was grateful that I didn't have a severe case like I've seen. Yeah out there, I feel that I don't know it was something that made the ease of recovery better because I was never, I mean, yes, at one time it was like 10 to 12 times, but I think that lasted maybe about three months when I was in my twenties. But for the most part, I wasn't an extremist when it came to that. And I would never even want to be in that category that says I'm worse than you. Like I, yeah. But even those people that compete for it, that's just a different kind of wound. That need for attention is just them being wounded in a different way than you. And they deserve as much compassion. You know, it's more annoying, (laughs) but they deserve as much compassion as, as anyone, as the person who stays silent. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, uh, 
and I feel bad that that, you know, I know that there's different levels. I mean, there's, yeah. there's children who are uh, rebels without a cause who are looking for the attention. It's a negative attention, but they're getting it. And the more attention yeah. they get from it, that's my only concern is the more that they get attention for being worse, whether it's a rebel without a cause or having a worse disorder and they're getting the attention as long as they get that attention, I think it, it makes it harder to turn it around. Does that make any sense? A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. So. I've said like more than once on this show, I wish I could go back and, you know, and fix it. But the truth is, I don't think I would, if I'm being really honest, because, you know, if, especially if we're watching other people go through it, we just want to make them better. I am so grateful for every, every scar, every wound, every piece of shit that I went through, because it made me who I am today. And it made me more uh, empathetic to people and able to relate to people who have gone through difficult things. And so, you know, for, for people who are watching or listening to this, who do know of somebody going through it, and they're so frustrated, just remember, it's not about you. And just watch them go through their journey. However it ends, it's their journey and they are polishing themselves like beautiful jewels that they are. And the more they go through, the more beautiful they'll be in the end. So ha have some, you know, have the compassion, do try to help, hold the space, but just give them the space for their journey because that is exactly what it is. I wouldn't change anything about me. I, I don't hold resentment for anything I went through. You know, and I, I wouldn't change anything about you. I think you're a wonderful, beautiful person. And you wouldn't be doing this podcast helping so many had you not had your own difficulties. And you're right. And I have to be, I, I'm incredibly grateful as well because uh, along with everything, my bulimia never stopped me from living. And there was a time when I first recovered. And I don't know if you felt like this as well, but I thought, oh my goodness, you know, the time wasted, the food wasted, the money wasted, this mm -hmm. wasted. And then I put a portrait of my life together and thinking, but even with all that, look what you accomplished and where you've come mm -hmm. to. And it was staggering that you can look at the positives of your life and put aside the negative of it. And like you just said, find the positive. Yeah. That where it brought you to. Yeah. I love your, that. your win was sweeter because your battle was harder. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> and totally. yours too. Your story is wonderful. And for uh, any of the listeners out there, we do have more of Sherry's story on Lift Your Story podcast, which I am a, a co-host on with Roy. And we really appreciated having Sherry on that one too, with a, a little bit of a different uh, twist to a story to this one, but I hope that you listen to it as well. And Sherry, if you can please tell our listeners about a little bit more about you, your business and where they can find you. 
Sure. So the Prosper Us group um, deals with the administrative professionals arena. So I recruit, I coach, and I train administrative professionals, and I help executives work better with their administrative or executive assistants. Uh, the reason why this is so important to me, which doesn't seem connected to things like bulimia or depression or any of the other stuff that we talked about in the other podcast, but it it comes back again to why it made me the way it made me. And administrative professionals are so subservient. So, you know, they're, they're just in these places of servitude to other people and they don't, it sometimes wears them down, grinds them down, or they started there and that's just what they feel that they need to do. So I love coaching them. And it's, it's my passion. Anytime I'm in a coaching call, we rarely end up talking much about the job because I help them to understand you have to fix the personal before you can flourish in the professional. And that's what we tackle. And, you know, I love to think that I'm really, really good at it because of what I've been through. That's where I shine. So I love my company, the Prosperous Group. I love the people that I work with and I love getting them to see the worth in themselves. That's wonderful. So they can find you on www.prosperus.us. Correct. Not O-U-S, U-S. Correct. Yeah. Prosperus, prosperusgroup.com. I can also be reached. You know, if anybody wanted to reach out by email, even if it wasn't about, you know, work, if, if, you, if something that we've talked about resonated with someone and you just want to talk, Sherry at prosperousgroup.com, you know, reach me. I'm, I'm happy to give you some time. That's fantastic. Really appreciate this. Uh, the other thing too, I wanted to just let your listeners know, which I was also really impressed with is it's not just deal with the executive assistants, but the, the relationship with the executives as well Correct. alongside of that so that you can yeah. work more in tandem with each other rather than, you know, the old, you know, boss and <laughs> secretary kind of thing. Uh, which I think is really important. And we, of course, relate that to, uh, I'm going to, I have to say it, but the suits, you know, Donna and uh, Harvey. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> we love that. It's kind of, what I do is kind of like professional marriage counseling. <laughs> <laughs> and I do believe that that's important because believe it or not, my first position is coming out of university thinking I was going to conquer the world work as an executive assistant. And it's not always easy in that role of being um, subservient so to speak, as the word would say it, uh, particularly if you do have ambitions and then you start to feel that you're not reaching where you wanted to be at. So this is where Sherry, I know you, you help out with that. So that's wonderful. Love Thank having you. you. Thank you so much again for being here. Lorianne, you're amazing. And it was such a privilege to be on your show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to visit me at bleepbulimia.com